And how many of you were near any of that storm yesterday? Anybody get caught in it? How many of you said some serious prayers? Yeah? Named it, claimed it, bound it, loosed it, whatever it was? I know. When they said there's one out there at 35 in Garden Acres, I was thinking, let's see, we do have really good insurance. But no, God protected us. All right, how many of you love the Word of God today? Isn't God's Word good? We're going to look tonight at chapter 2. We're almost going to finish chapter 2 and head right into chapter 3 next week. We ought to be on this series, I'd say, four weeks to maybe six at the very, very most. But I love the Word of God. This is such good stuff. And we're going to learn tonight. So let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the word. We've come through rush hour traffic, Lord. We're hungry tonight. We've made the journey, though we had long days. Lord, today we had our difficulties, but tonight we are hungry and thirsty for your word. And we pray that you will open our eyes and speak to us. Feed us that word in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you're going to be blessed tonight. And let's get into the Word. How many of you ever wondered how to have a Christ-exalting testimony? Hello? How many of you have ever realized that it can be very difficult to have a Christ-exalting testimony? That is, all right, so tonight we're going to look at Paul's getting very practical with us. He always does this. He'll take you into the lofty heights theologically and then bring you right back down into day-to-day living and tell you how to walk this walk out. So last time in Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 14, we explored Jesus' journey from the cross to the crown. Now this time we're going to look at Paul's instructions for how to live lives that glorify the Lord. Is that everybody's heart in here tonight? Amen. Now, look at verse uh, 15, and let's start right there. He says that you may become, read the next two words with me, blameless and harmless. Wow. That's a tall order. Blameless and harmless. Children of God without rebuke in the midst of a what kind of generation? Crooked and perverse. I think three of you said that. Has anybody noticed with me that our culture is getting increasingly crooked and perverse. Almost by the day. It's almost like our culture, now I don't mean everybody in it, but a big chunk of it, has decided not just to walk towards hell, but to run. Not just to grieve God, but to dare Him to judge us. It's a crooked and perverse generation. And what does he say about you and me? Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Can you say with me, I'm a light? I don't know how often you feel that way. I don't know if you wake up in the morning feeling like you're a light. But you and I are lights in this world. Jesus told us that. Now here's the deal. All around us is a very dark world. No question about it. People everywhere are bent and warped by sin, and it only seems to be getting worse. 
Up is down, down is up, right is wrong, wrong is right, light is dark, dark is light. And Isaiah said, woe to those who replace good with evil and evil for good, who call evil good and who call good evil. He said, woe to those. One thing you don't want over you is a woe. You don't want a woe over your life. You don't want God to look at you and say, woe to you. It's not good. Now, the Bible says that we too used to be just as selfish, crooked, and lost as other people. But by God's grace, we were rekindled with light from on high. So we're called literally children of light. And you know what the Bible called us before? Children of darkness. But now we're children of light. There is no in-between. You're not a child of semi-light or a child kind of in darkness. There's not one foot in one world and one in the other. You're a child of light or you're a child of darkness, depending on your experience with Christ. Now, having been lit by God's light, we have been placed in this world as lamps. Jesus said, read it with me, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. But what do they do? Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. That's you. That means that God has taken his church and highlighted us. We're on display. That's why we need this that we're going to be looking at tonight. Because since we're on display, we've got to have a good testimony. Amen? Because we're, we're on a hill, and there's a light, and people see it. And so he didn't hide us under a bushel. He didn't light us as a candle and go hide us off in a closet somewhere. Every one of us has been highlighted. Every one of us is on display at your workplace, next to your neighbors, in your home, with your kids watching you, your spouse watching you. You're on display. You're a light. You've been drafted. You're in God's army, and there's no getting away from it. And you cannot be a conscientious objector if you're washed in the blood. In the same way, Jesus said, read it with me, everybody. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So they see you walking in righteousness, and they look up and they glorify God, and they say, I knew, I knew them before. And I know this is not normal. Something has happened to this person who I used to know. And they glorify, they've got to credit God with it. How many people, how many of you here tonight can say, there was at least one or two people in my life that were shocked when I got saved? Let me see your name, your hands. All right, bunch of you. And they're watching you like a hawk. All right, now, how can we let our light shine? Well, Philippians told us last week, remember, one way is to do all things without murmuring and disputing. Quit your complaining. Trust God. Don't murmur. Don't walk around criticizing. Don't be negative all the time. How many of you want friends? Then don't be negative all the time. Unless you get around you a bunch of people negative with you and then you're all in a pit. But don't do it. 
because it'll grieve the Holy Spirit away and nobody believes that you, anything good has happened to you as it relates to God if you're walking around complaining. A complainer is basically saying, I don't trust God. Don't murmur, don't complain. Another way, says Paul, is to be blameless and harmless. Now let's look at words. You know I'm a word guy and words matter. And the Bible you have in your hand was translated from Greek, the New Testament, Old Testament from Hebrew. Sometimes the English words work with what was translated and sometimes you really don't get the full meaning that was in the original Greek word. So I like breaking words down with you and just showing you what they meant in the original language. So the word blameless means without reproach. Now Luke chapter one, verse six, uses the same Greek word to describe Zacharias and Elizabeth, who were chosen by God in their older years to be the parents of John the Baptist. And the Bible says of them that they were without reproach and God chose them. In other words, they lived a life you couldn't point your finger of accusation at and say, there goes a hypocrite. Now the word harmless means simple concerning evil. It means you're, you're a dunce when it comes to evil. And that's good. Be simple. Be ignorant concerning things that are evil. Don't learn the ways of evil. Paul uses the same word in Romans when encouraging the church to avoid being worldly wise. Be wise in the ways of God, he said, but not in the ways of the world. Don't be wise in the way. Listen, this world, according to John, is passing away in the lust thereof. It's passing away. There, there's not wisdom out there in that world unless the wisdom comes from the scriptures, from the wisdom of God. There are philosophies out there that you can learn in college, but in those philosophies... There is not the wisdom of God. As a matter of fact, in Corinthians, Paul said, in all of their philosophies, talking about the Greeks and the ancients, they did not come to know God. Their philosophies did not lead them to God. Well, anything that doesn't lead you to God failed you. But the wisdom of God will lead you to God. So he said, be very wise in the scriptures, but be simple concerning the things that are evil. You don't need to know about evil. Amen? I think a level of naivete is good. You're, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. That's evil, but I don't know what you're talking about because I don't know evil. I do know the ways of God. That's good. To be blameless and harmless in today's wicked and perverse world is impossible without a radical change in our hearts. Christianity, as I, I say it often, it's not a New Year's resolution. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not rehab. Christianity is you have had a dramatic transformation on the inner man. Jesus said it's, it's being born twice. Born once, you're dead. Born twice, you're alive. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're saved. Born once, you're dead. Born twice, you're alive. And so we've got to have a radical change in our hearts. We've got to come into contact with Christ who changes our nature or we will never in this world be harmless and blameless. Never. 
This kind of change can only come from becoming sons of God. Since the Son of God lives such a life, guess what, everybody? We can live such a life. Let me ask you a million-dollar question tonight. If God didn't think we could do it, would He be telling us to do it? No. Wouldn't that be crazy? So if He says, live a harmless and a blameless life, and He tells us that knowing that we could never do it, then He's cruel, isn't He? But He apparently believes we can through Christ. I can do all things. How? Say it with me. Through Christ. Who does what? Strengthens me. There you go. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't live harmless and blameless in this world, but I can do it through Christ. That's it. Jesus' life was beyond rebuke. The word translated without rebuke comes from a Greek word meaning without blemish. No doubt about it. It's a tall order to live an unblemished life in a world of sin and shame. How are you going to do it? It can only be achieved, hear me carefully, by living in the power of the Holy Spirit. You will never live a blameless, harmless life without the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You've got to feed him daily. That's the key. How often are you at the feeding trough? Sundays? When Pastor Jeff preaches a message and you drag in and say, you better preach me up today? Hey, listen, I learned a long time ago. It's like that little mama bird that kicks the baby bird out of the nest and says, fly or die. The day will come where God says it's time for you to grow up. And that means you take care of your own feeding. You feed yourself the word of God. It's only going to be achieved by the power of the Holy Spirit well taught in the teachings of Christ. Period. It's the old analogy. Inside of you is a black dog and a white dog. Which one wins the battle? The one you feed the most. Period. So how long are you in the word, Pastor Jeff? Long enough. I'm in it long enough. Well, how do you know when enough is enough? I feel full. I'm not going to give you something legalistic and say, well, you need to be in it an hour a day. Set that clock. One hour. And, and then you're okay. No. How long do you need to be in it? Long enough. How do you know when enough is enough? When you're full. When you can walk out the door and face the world and face the devil and the flesh and win because you built yourself up in your most holy faith. And you are going to have your share of trials and errors, successes and failures, like a child learning to walk, repeatedly falls and skins his knee, but he finally stands successfully on his own two feet. It's no difference in spiritual life. I've known people who have been saved 30 years are still falling, still skinning their knee. They have not disciplined their lives to have a regular time with God. And it's very sad because somebody is still having to change their diapers. But there comes a point where you've got to say, you know what? It's time for me to get serious with God and open up that word of life every day and feed my inner man so that I walk out in the power of the Spirit, not in the weakness of the flesh. It's just, this is 101. This is Christianity 101. Amen. 
while living out this Christian life, Paul continues and says in verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. The word of life is the gospel. Holding fast the word of life. And it's not just the gospel, but it's the teachings of Jesus Christ for life and living. I got to tell you, the Lord has so dealt with me in the last number of years that so many Christians, and I've been there, you get saved, you know John three sixteen, and you think, well, now I'm arrived, I got my ticket to heaven, so everything is okay. But what we don't know is Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, all the things Jesus told us about life and living, forgiving one another, praying for one another, the light of the eyes, all the things that he mentions in that incredible, masterful message for life and living. We don't know it, and we don't apply it. And so we walk in the ways of the world while we are still children of God. But you know what? We've got to learn what he taught and begin to apply it, read it, and then go do it. Because he gave us everything we need for victory, for joy, for success, for fulfillment. He gave it all to us, but we've got to read it. We must, as believers, hold forth this liberating word everywhere in this dark world where death lays its blighting hand on everybody. We've got the word of life. We're the light of the world, salt of the earth. Notice the walk comes before the talk. When people see us living the life, they'll listen to what we have to say. But if they see us not living the life, we have no authority in what we say. That's all he's saying to us. He's saying, come on, Philippians, uh, uh, you love the Lord, you've been gloriously saved. Now walk your talk and then talk. Walk it before you talk it. And if you're talking it, be sure you're walking it. Boy, it's quiet in here tonight. <laughs> Have you noticed how our, our culture just loves to catch a Christian doing something wrong? Have you noticed that? The news media, they love it for some really big name to be caught doing something wrong. They love it. They'll hop on that so fast and highlight it and talk about it and expose them because it helps them be comfortable then in their own sin. Got to be very careful. Walk circumspectly. Walk wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now verse 17, he says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now, you've heard me say a lot on Wednesday nights that I think Paul was the greatest Christian that ever lived. I really do. I'm not comparing him to others in a negative way, but this apostle to the Gentiles was such an amazing Christian. I can't think of another person in all the history of the church, you can name the great names, who reflected the character, the heart, the mind of Jesus Christ like Paul. And I want you to notice what he just said here. If I'm being poured out, my life is just being poured out for you, I'm glad. I want to know how many people feel that way about others. 
How many people do you know who would say, my whole life is being poured out for you? I mean, we might say that to our kids mad. I'm giving my whole life for you. <laughs> do you realize I'm giving my life for you? I'm tired of giving my life. Not Paul. These are people that just came to Christ under his ministry. And he says, I'm pouring out my life for you. And I'm glad. I hear Jesus there. Do you? Is that the spirit of our age talking to us there? No. Paul saw the Philippian converts as consecrated believers who had presented themselves to God as a living sacrifice. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, which is your reasonable service. And don't be being conformed to this world but be being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't fit into this world's mold. Fit into the kingdom of God's mold. Start growing and becoming like Jesus, not like this world. Everybody's being shaped by one of the two. Either you're becoming more like the thinking of the world or you're becoming more like Christ. He says... I thank God that you're consecrated and you've given your life to him and you've done what I've taught you to do. And as an offering to God, they were being consumed on the altar of sacrifice and service. And here's what Paul said. Upon that very altar, he himself was pouring out his own life blood. And he anticipated, rightly so, that it was going to end up in martyrdom. He said, that's okay. That's okay. I gladly give my life for you. Do you hear Jesus in there? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came to die on the cross. He was born to die. He's the only man in history who was born to die for the sins of mankind. He gave everything for you and for me. And listen to Paul. Jesus had weaved and worked his way into the character of Paul that he was just like him. And that's the will of God for you and for me. He's able to make all things work together for the good of those who love God. And what is the good thing that he's able to work everything towards? That we would be shaped into the image of Christ. Uh. This was perfectly fine with the great apostle being poured out for these folks. He would gladly have given his life for their spiritual progress. Such did the spirit of Christ rest on his heart. I personally believe that you really haven't lived until you live for others. I think the most miserable people I've ever known were selfish people. Matter of fact, I've never known a happy, selfish person. You show me a selfish person, I'll show you a miserable person. But I've never known a totally unhappy, giving person who had others on their mind a lot. Who loved others and gave themselves for others. That's what brings joy. Living for you is the highway to hell. Amen. Now, verse 18, he says, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. You know what he's saying there? Paul had a stake in the Philippians and they had a stake in him. They were supporting him. They were helping to supply his financial needs. And they were ministering to him in prison. 
So look at the verse again. For the same reason you also, Philippians, be glad and rejoice with me. Because we're in this together. We're in this together. And so I rejoice with you and you rejoice with me. You support me and I pray for you. I give you the word of God and you support me and help me. We're a team. This is teamwork. I may be the apostle, but I can't do a lot of what I do without you. I tell this church all the time, we're in this together. This isn't a one-man show or a four-man show, whatever, however many pastors we have in this staff. That's not what it is. We're in this together. We're a team. Every time I get an email from, for instance, the radio show, and I get them a lot, I, I respond to them, and I thank them for the, whatever it was they shared, and I tell them, you know, it's not just me, but it's the church. We have a burden to go to the world, and we're going to take the word to the world. Oh, does our world need the word of God like never before? Come on. I mean, really? And so we're going to take it to the world. And when I reach people, we reached them. When somebody gets saved, we led them to Christ. This is a church family. We have set our hearts and our minds and our vision on a goal. And that is to glorify God in this world and preach the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ to every man, woman, and child. And we are not going to compromise. We're not going to dilute it. We're not going to apologize. We're going to take it to them. And it's as a team. And I really mean that. And that's what Paul is saying here. You're supporting me, helping me, ministering to me in prison. We're in this together. Now, they were to rejoice in him as he rejoiced in them. Now, I want to sum up uh, the first 18 verses of chapter 2 real briefly so we can kind of catch up with what we've covered in chapter 2. And then we're going to look at Timothy before we close tonight. In chapter 2, the first 18 verses, Paul has pointed to Jesus Christ as the supreme example of triumph in sacrifice. What Paul was getting at is clear. In effect, here's what he was saying. Your petty squabbles, remember those women that were squabbling in the church, and that's one of the reasons he wrote the letter? That's what kicked this whole thing off, Philippians. Now watch. He's saying your petty squabbles will soon tear the heart right out of your testimony if you keep fighting, if you keep squabbling, if you keep this petty bickering going on. There needs to be a transformation in your conduct, in your character, and in your concepts. You need a whole new view of the Christian life. You need to keep Calvary in mind. You need to think about Jesus, who is the living secret of holiness. Think about how Jesus pursued us from heaven's heights. Wow. To the cross of shame. And back to the throne of power at God's right hand. Think of his unfathomable example of sacrifice and service. Think about it. He washed the disciples' feet and said, As I have done to you, you should do to each other. He said, going on, look at your lives. Paul seemed to be saying, in the light of the cross. Look at life through the lens of the cross. You too should be burning up for God. Anybody in here burning up for God? You should be burning up for God. You should be on holy fire. You should have Holy Ghost heartburn.
You don't need a Tums for that. You want that to get even worse. Amen? I myself, Paul said, am likely to be martyred. In any case, I'm a living martyr already, dying daily. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, In the light of Calvary, how can there be any room for murmuring and disputing? In the light of Calvary, how can we descend into a, an existence in church of just squabbling and fighting and disputing and murmuring? In light of the cross and everything Jesus did, that seems crazy. Amen? Now, next, Paul gives to us another example of true service in the person of Timothy. And he begins with Timothy's commission. I love this. Verse 19, he says, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also, I also may be encouraged when I know your state. They didn't have iPhones. I got an iPhone this week. I did. I finally caved in. I had one of these old dinosaurs, and I just was stubborn about it. Finally, Something got me. I said, you know, I just need to move on up into technology and get this iPhone. I have barely put it down. I have barely put it down. Th that woman that talks to you, what's her name? Siri. She's already gotten on to me a couple of times. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. But, but I know how to get home. But I downloaded a GPS, and I'm so entranced with it because it tells me about traffic up ahead. It tell, it, it, the thing is, it's, it's omnipotent. It's omnipresent. I learned that you can talk into it and say, remind me when I get home to call my daughter. And you drive into your driveway and the thing knows you got home. Call your daughter. It's freaky. I mean, it's really freaky. You know what I've been saying to myself. You know what I've been saying. Why did I wait? <laughs> How did I get into that? Oh, because Paul. <laughs> he had no phones. He had no fax. He had no email. He had no computer. He had to send somebody on a long walk for weeks and months to go find out how a certain church was doing and then come all the way back and tell him, don't you know what Paul would have done with an iPhone? <laughs> he would have reached the world. He'd have been on Twitter. He'd have been on Facebook. And he'd have kept his Facebook clean too. That's free. People who don't understand when you're on Facebook, I'm not on Facebook. I don't want to be on Facebook. But people don't understand when they're on Facebook, they say things and do things, and they don't realize the whole world is watching. Wash your face, book. But now, he, so he sends Timothy to go find out the condition of this church. And he's expressing the hope that he would be able to send Timothy to them soon. Timothy was one of the better known of Paul's companions. Here's a little bit of, about him. His mother and his grandmother were both Jewish women. And they are named in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5. His father was Greek, but since he apparently died when Timothy was very young, the boy was raised by his godly mother and grandmother. 
who gave him a good working knowledge of Old Testament scriptures. I want you to look at this verse. In 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul alludes to that upbringing in the word of God. And look at what he says. From childhood, Timothy, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to do what, everybody? Make you wise. Say that again. Make you wise. That's what the word of God will do for you. It'll make you wise. For what? For salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, catch this. When Timothy was being raised, there was no New Testament. He only had the Old. You know what this tells us about the Old Testament? Exactly what Jesus told his critics. He said, you search the scriptures, you think you find in them eternal life. But I tell you, they are that which speaks of me. The Old Testament, if you read it, would lead you to an expectation and embracing of the Messiah. That's powerful. So they made him wise so that when Paul came along with the gospel, he had already been primed, expecting the Messiah, and he received him. Timothy was Paul's child in the faith and was likely converted during his first missionary journey. We find Timothy all the time with Paul. He was with him in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. That's just a few of the places. On the third missionary journey, he was with Paul during his long stay, two-year stay at Ephesus. He was with Paul during the time of his first imprisonment in Rome. He stayed right with his apostle when he was in prison. And it was to Timothy that Paul made the heart-wrenching for me, request, Timothy, come before winter. I'm in the Roman prison. My time's here, son. You better do it before winter. If you wait too long, you won't be able to get here. I don't want winter to stop you because here's what I want. I want my cloak and I want my books. He made that request at the very tail end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, That's the last thing he wrote. After that, he was martyred. It was to Timothy he turned in his last days. Get that stuff to me and come quickly. Don't wait. I want my books. I want my cloak. I'm cold. I've fought a good fight, finished my course, and I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that he will give to me on that day, and not just to me, but on every person who loves his appearing. Oh, amen. If you love his appearing, there's a, there's a crown for those who love his appearing. Are you looking for him? There's a crown. Amen. Now, according to the historian Eusebius, Timothy was the first bishop of Ephesus, that is the pastor. And tradition has it that Timothy was clubbed to death at a feast of Diana, which was very immoral, for denouncing the sinful spectacle. They clubbed him to death. So there goes another martyr. Paul next provides his reason for sending Timothy to check on the Philippian church. He says in verse 20, because I've got nobody, Timothy, like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. I have no one like-minded. There's not anybody closer to being like me 
than Timothy. Men who think like Paul, I promise you, are rare. So are men who share his genuine, painstaking, self-sacrificing care for the spiritual needs of others. Amazingly, think about it, in all of Rome, that massive city, Paul could not find a single believer possessing the traits that Timothy had. (laughs) I want to tell you people something. Listen to me. True godly character is a rare find. People who are saved are everywhere. People who don't seek their own and are mature in the faith and have really fully developed godly character are rare finds. Oh, you could find talented men in Rome, but not those of the same temperament as Paul. Timothy had both. He had the temperament, he had the talent, and he had the time. He was available. He was available. Available comes from, I'm availing myself because I'm able. Available. His natural way of caring for people, his availability and his talent enabled him to triumph in service. True service. A true servant, say it with me, is ready, able, and willing. Paul next lays out the main obstacle to true service. You want to know what stops most people? Here it is. And, and, and before I read this, I got to tell you, what an indictment on the human race. What we're about to read. It proves that we're fallen. It proves that we're all born with a disease called sin. Because look what he says about people. All, read it with me, for all, how many? All seek their own. All seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Is that true? Let God be true and every man a liar. It's true. Until the Lord gets a hold of your heart and breaks you and shapes you and molds you and makes you, we seek our own. We're out for number one, and number one is me, myself, and I. But if Jesus is able to get himself, weave himself, shape himself, mold himself into your character and mine, we will not live life seeking just our own. We'll seek those things that are of Jesus Christ. The curse of the local church today is lack of commitment. Why? Because most seek only their own. The same faithful few do nearly all the work. Same ones. Yeah, a little little circle of people that do just about everything. Everybody else comes to church. I'm not condemning. I'm not condemning. I'm reading the word. All seek their own. Y'all are so quiet. It it stings, doesn't it? It stings me. Because I know how selfish I can be. How selfish I have been grievously so and I hate it I wish I weren't so selfish still but it's there and bit by bit chip by chip day by day brick by brick God is able to tear that nasty revolting 
selfish selfishness down. But boy, it takes a lifetime, and it's not easy. And over and over again, there's some pain involved. But he's going to get us there. He who has begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. That's it. At Turning Point, we are working hard to change this this thing of seeking your own and not serving. Our conviction is that every member is gifted for a task. Every member is a 10 at something. Every member is called to service. It's important to know that when Paul wrote Philippians 2, verse 21, that we just read, he was indicting Laodiceanism. You remember in the book of Revelations, he talked to the church of Laodicea, said you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. He's indicting here that same spirit that had grabbed hold of the Laodicean church, Laodiceanism. And what is Laodiceanism? It is the spirit that wants the best of both worlds. I want one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom of God. I want to have my cake and eat it too. The spirit that says, me first, then you, me first, then God. It is the spirit that our children are taught in the public schools. It's all about you. You are number one. One time a man who was called by Jesus to be a disciple said, I'm reading straight out of the Bible, look what it says, allow what? Me first to go and bury my father. And another would-be disciple said, read it with me, let me first go bid them farewell which are at home. Both of those men had a bad case of what? Me first. And the Lord rebuked them both. (laughs) He rebuked them both. Because nobody with a me first attitude is equipped to be a true servant of God. Next, Paul, this hard tonight, isn't it? Y'all are really quiet. Some of you are grabbing your toes and rubbing them. Hey, what about me? I had to study it before I came here. We need this, don't we? We need this. I mean, we need this. Next, Paul talks about the necessity of proven character. And we're headed towards the close. Verse 22. Read this with me. But you know his what? Proven character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Now, the word proven means tested in trials. In other words, Timothy had remained true in the heat of trying times. He was as true to Paul in tough times as a genuine son would have been. Are you ready for this? Nobody's truly ready for ministry until they have been proved, tested in trial. This is why in another place Paul wrote that an elder, quote, must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fail. You can't lay on the shoulders of a new believer or somebody young in the faith a strong responsibility in God until they have been proven, tested in trial. Now next, Paul expresses a hope. I hope, he says in verse 23, I hope to send him, Timothy, to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. I want to point something out here. Notice how Paul waited on God to make things clear. You see that? I want to send Timothy right now. I'm dying to know how you folks are doing. 
But I don't know. It's not clear. The water is still kind of muddy. I'm waiting to see what happens to me. And I don't feel that I should let him go until I know what's going to happen to me and things are more clear. So I'm going to wait on God and I'm going to rein in my own desires. And I'm going to wait on God. You learn that and you're going to spare yourself a lot of tears. Oh, but he'll give me the desires of my heart in his time. In his time. He said, uh, you know, I hope to send him to you. I hope to. I really hope to. But I got to see what's going to happen to me first here in prison. The apostle had hopes. He had desires. He had dreams. He had wishes. Yet all of them were laid at the cross in submission to the timing of God. So must we wait on God and trust him in all things. Can we stand together? Let me talk to you as you're standing about timing. God has a timing for everything. This is why I say to you, the Apostle Paul, such an amazing man. But all he's doing is sharing the heart God wants us all to have. See, some of you here tonight, most of you have desires, dreams, wishes, hopes, aspirations. But the water is not clear yet. I learned as a boy, never grab a crawdad in muddy water. It took me one time. I saw him, and as I went towards him, I muddied the water up. But I went and plunged my hand in anyway. He was big, and he had these blue pinchers. And he grabbed hold of my thumb. My mother heard me screaming all the way down the street. I learned, you're going to catch a crawdad, wait till the water clears. You're going to walk with God, wait till the water clears. He'll clear it. If it's muddy, don't you grab that crawdad. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I can't believe I came up with that. I just had a memory. I was a boy's boy. I used to hunt for critters all the time, all different snakes. My mother was afraid to open my lunchbox when I got home. She would open it from a distance real quick and throw the lid open. I had lizards. I had snakes. I had toads and frogs and you name it. But I learned about those crawdads. Waiting on God, he'll finally clear the water. And finally, the water cleared. And Timothy went. Father, we just thank you right now. Help us, Lord Jesus, to wait on God. Wait on your perfect timing. Lord, thank you that you're not telling us the desire is necessarily wrong or the wish or aspiration or hope, but you might be saying, wait a while for the water to clear. We thank you, Lord, for this incredible word tonight on living out practical Christianity. Help us to keep our testimony healthy and strong and to be a light. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness towards us. In Jesus' name, let's sing.